This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 123, about The Punisher, season 1, episode 2, Two Dead Men. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 123 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are covering The Punisher, season one, second episode, Two Dead Men. Yes, the ghosts of Frank Castle and David Lieberman stalk this episode. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Two dead men and a few other dead men as well uh, involved in this as well. Yes. I feel like this is the Sesame Street episode <laughs> of uh, Defenders. It's ep- Defenders episode one, two, three, and we're going to teach you about two dead men. <laughs> it's like one dead man, two dead men. I like it. Ah, I like it. Ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're Bert and Ernie, of course, on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you, Cookie Monster? Probably. Or a fellow hipster with Frank Castle, but a bit sharper, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I try and keep the be- the beard a bit more under wraps yes. when possible. Yes. Yeah. Have you have you gone to a local diner there in New York and and decided whether or not to stay in the neighbourhood because of the eggs? Uh, I can't say that I have. <laughs> can't say that I have. But I may try it today just because you know shits and giggles. Absolutely. Yeah, it's Sunday. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't know, Chris is joining us from uh, New York, as we mentioned in our first episode, which is uh, which is kind of cool, having him so close to where all of these events were filmed. That's quite deadly. So I think you might have to go on the uh, the Punisher tour of New York at some point, Chris. Just pick out all the places. I do think so. I need to find them. Maybe do the David Lieberman tour, which is only twenty minutes to everywhere in New York, apparently. So. <laughs> yeah, not not so much. Well, if you haven't guessed, fellow defenders, this is obviously our spoiler-filled discussion about uh, episode two. If you haven't seen episode two and you're listening to the podcast so far, you're probably really confused about what we're talking about. Yes, we um, obviously need to get into the episode. But before we do, as always, a little reminder that you can follow us over on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Podcasts or any other good podcast catcher. Just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com to our subscribe area on the homepage. Um, And, of course, yes, once there, you can share the love, uh, rate us, leave some feedback uh, and review of us and also it helps us to grow the podcast and obviously know that we are providing you with some good stuff on this podcast absolutely and while you're over on the website if you want to leave us your feedback about any of the episodes of the punisher just pop on to the sidebar there there's a little send voicemail button you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes of the show and we'll talk about them on our next episode Uh, we're recording this in advance of the release of the punisher so at the moment there is no feedback into us just yet but there may be by the time we're releasing this episode Uh, hopefully we'll get to hear your thoughts as you go through the episodes of the punisher and hopefully you're enjoying it yes and you can send your um thought emails to us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com and of course there will be the spoiler posts on our facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast where we can all spoil ourselves rotten um in the comments of our posts so that we don't spoil other people who are watching at different speeds. Absolutely. I think with that, on to the episode. Derek, uh, what are some of the episode details? Really easy one this time. Um, as I mentioned last episode, the second episode was also written by Steve Lightfoot, who's our showrunner for The Punisher. Um, he's written the first two episodes, which is used to seems to be the privilege of the person that's running the show for uh, for The Defenders. They seem to get the first couple of episodes themselves. Uh, it was again directed by Sh- Tom Shankland. Uh, what I kind of liked about this episode was the use of camera in this, in this one. It seemed quite different from the first episode. It seemed like he was feeding off the idea of micro-watching people through cameras, through uh, security footage because there's a lot of scenes that are taking place in places that you wouldn't normally have a camera. Things like there's a fight that's that you see filmed from outside of a house, looking into the house. So it does feel like he kind of changed it up a little bit for this episode. Yeah, completely. I, I really thought that some of the um, those shots in particular, you were well, some of them were were exactly you're expected to think that the graininess is because it's a camera. Mm-hmm. But then there's some of the other shots, which the fight scene in particular in the house. 
was well, very well done. Yeah, really like that. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Frank Castle is being tracked. He suspects that one of the few friends that know he's still alive has turned his whereabouts over to someone. When this doesn't pan out, he contacts Karen Page to search for leads about his tracker, Micro. On the discovery that Carson Wolf had a story about Micro quashed, Frank goes to him for answers. With more intel in hand, Frank tracks his stalker, David Lieberman, through his family and begins to turn the tables on him as the hunted becomes the hunter. Meanwhile, at Homeland Security, Dina Madani tracks a former member of Frank's team in Kandahar, Billy Russo, and strikes up a relationship with him. Finally, as Frank hones in on his tracker Micro, he pops up in an unexpected place in Micro's base of operations, his Faraday cage. Thanks, John. A different type of episode this time from the first episode, I think. Lots of more intrigue and lots more setup for characters that are coming up in the show, I think. And as you know, fellow defenders, the way we cover our episodes is we talk about our top five moments of the episode, hopefully covering off everything that we all think about the episodes, discuss them through, and and then decide whether we defend the episodes or not. First up, our point number one. Hipster, it's for you. Uh, as as uh, little Frank is sitting in a diner, getting himself a cup of coffee, and the world seems to close in on him all of a sudden. He thinks that he's completely anonymous sitting in this diner, but uh, gets a phone call from a an unknown source calling himself Micro. Yeah, this is the moment where all eyes turn to him, both metaphorically, um, him thinking that he's being watched, and in reality, as he walks to grab that phone off the waitress in the diner, mm-hmm. everyone is kind of looking at this hobo-looking hipster um, that has got a bit of a gnarl about him. So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, where Micro... Uh, really gets introduced where he kind of sends his message to to Frank, but is obviously a, a couple of steps ahead. Frank seems he's got the measure uh, of, of Micro when he sees that glint atop one of the sort of neighboring buildings. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Micro was just on top of the diner, probably breathing in the delicious eggy smell coming through <laughs> up from the air vents. I like this. He's actually called Hipster twice in this, both by uh, the, the waitress in the diner, but also by Karen, who is reintroduced into the, the Punisher world after her close relationship with him in Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. I love this intro of, of Micro. It's really interesting to see this character um, from the comic books translating into the TV show. Very different character, had a lot more going on, I think, than than the Micro of the comic books. Um, but yeah, very smart guy, and I, I love that moment when Frank's on the phone with him, and Micro goes, "I'm looking at a dead man," and he goes, "I'm not the only one. You will be too." Basically, so uh, Frank threatening Micro immediately, saying he's going to be dead. But yeah, there's uh, the, the kind of kicking off the storyline with these two characters. A good way to do it. Yeah, definitely, no, definitely. Well, I, I love the hipster job, guys. <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. Anyone with a beard now is a hipster. I'm like, ah. Oh, well, anyone who looks thanks. homeless. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I'm halfway there. So I, I love the, I, I really like the introduction. Um, I like the, the misdirection that uh, Micro does pull in the first, the first time we see, uh, or the first time Frank gets up to see mm-hmm. him. Took me a second to understand where he was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't show the full, uh, name of the diner or anything it's just him on the roof and i was like oh okay. yeah. it clicked into place maybe i'm just slow at the moment um <laughs> the fumes in new york are not helping me right. yeah no it was a nice nice misdirection we have karen back mm-hmm. so i know i had complained in uh the last episode slightly it was like where's karen mm-hmm. well yeah she's back now um she's still as demanding on her editor as ever <laughs> which i was like have I ever spoke to my boss that way? <laughs> but journalists get away with it. They're the ones that actually write the paper. Editors just edit it, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. That That's how that works. It was nice to see her back. The, uh, I'd like to know how she's going to play more of an asset. Mm-hmm. Essentially, she's just an information pool at this point. Yep. Yeah, but I did... I did like the introduction. It was slightly... It reminded me of one of the old spy films. Very much. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what they were trying to pull off. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing in this episode that they're aiming for a bit of a thriller vibe with this show. 
um, there seemed to be looking for the, the suspense and the, the kind of 70s um, conspiracy shows that you would have seen as well. We're definitely seeing that side of it. Um, yeah, I thought the look of Micro was really good as well, like just with the shades and the hoodie. I kind of like the way it was like, call me as he's kind mm-hmm. of almost taunting um, the the Punisher on, on top of the 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 roof um but another great look as well is his base of operations um that's pretty cool i like that it reeks um abandoned nuclear bunker come you know high tech even though a lot of the equipment doesn't look it but kind of high tech sort of subversive uh espionage type place yeah i was kind of thinking a little bit like mr robot those kind of sets that are in that show yeah definitely similar to that um his tech hub if you will um where he observes his family from afar. Creepy yeah. or protective? I, I have to say, this is probably something that is that is a, an easy way to drive yourself insane. I would think so. If you're having no contact from the outside world, hiding out, and then you're watching your wife and kids grow up in front of your eyes through hidden cameras in their home. It's pretty creepy. Understandable why he's doing it, because he, he is protective of them. But yeah, I'd say he's kind of driving himself insane watching everything that's going on. I'm sure he's wanted to just run over to the house and given his young son a slap across the face for the way he talks to his mother occasionally. Um, you know, but that will drive you pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. On his base of operations, I, I'm pretty sure he's in Faraday cages. Yes. Which don't get signals in or out. So that would be interesting. I, I'm just kind of calling that now. Uh, there seems to be one for a bedroom and one for his opera, like the computers and so forth, and his couch. Very smart. So I think that's what that is, but I'll see. Um, on the family piece, mm-hmm. I'm, so I was I'm at one point during the episode where she looks at, the, the wife, excuse me, looks at the camera. Yeah. Um, and we now see that the camera's in a, the portrait of him and the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought I, that second, she was like going, Oh, I wish you weren't dead. I wish you could just come back and help me with these. In more of a way of she actually knew he wasn't dead. Oh, right, okay. But then obviously when Frank does get yeah. to meet her in a later point. No, I don't think that's the case. I think that she is convinced that he is, Micro is dead. Uh, that he died for doing what he did, to, what he thought was right. Yeah. I don't know whether you want to discuss it now or later on. Um, we do need to discuss what micro did yes yeah yeah well i think we'll talk about that a little bit later on i think it's actually probably coming up in the next point but i'm wondering if that moment with sarah his wife uh, where she's looking at the portrait is kind of that feeling that we all get when you're being watched that you suddenly feel those eyes on you um i'm wondering if she just has that feeling even though it's a a piece of electronic equipment behind a, a portrait that's in their family home i wonder is she just wondering is she just getting that feeling that kind of your skin crawling feeling that somebody's watching you, you know, that, that kind of thing that we all get at various points in our life. Um, not that she knows there's cameras behind it, but she just feels eyes on her, you know, uh, that kind of way. But yeah, yeah, definitely felt the same kind of thing as you're, as you're talking about. Um, let's go on to point number two, which is kind of what you're talking about, Chris, which is the disc, the flashbacks and Frank's very own PTSD. So we finally have an idea of what's on the disc that was left behind by Micro. Yeah. Uh, well, we know exactly what's on the disc, and it's a pretty brutal murder of uh, Ahmad Zubair, uh, the police officer in Kandahar who was killed by Americans. Yeah, well, it, uh, presumably this is the group led by uh, Schoonover. That's how I'm kind of interpreting it. Right. Uh, yeah, it certainly seemed pretty brutal uh, with him being sort of strung up over the room where his feet can't touch uh, the floor, or he can just about um, maybe feel the floor underneath his feet. Um, it, it, it felt like when they do that, when they hang people, and, yeah. and they leave just enough room so that they don't hang themselves. Uh, yeah, it was pretty brutal. But, I mean, this this team here is certainly smacks of um i think he he does a kind of confession to kurt does just frank castle where he says you know we were dropped with the cia so this is presumably a more covert kind of group uh maybe not his normal um military outfit that he was involved with which seems to be where kurt is from mm-hmm. from what i understand from the dialogue um and like he talks about you know there was uh, execution, kidnap, and assassination. That uh, that shit wasn't war as we knew it. So he's obviously involved in something a bit 
deeper, a bit more covert, that it obviously is linked in with the death of this uh, police officer, Ahmed Zubair, uh, and also Dina and her kind of illicit investigation that she's still trying to keep going at the Homeland Security Office. Mm. It's really interesting. And he, he comes back to that sort of final moment in, in Daredevil when he is killing uh, Schoonover as well, where he hints to Frank that he was to blame for his wife's murder. And we get a bit more of that, which will come to, I suppose, in one of our other points where we, we talk about Carsten Wolf. Um, but certainly there is a hint here that Frank um, was involved in something pretty uh, undercover, pretty covert, um, and pretty brutal in sort of the operations of the U.S. in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one for me. Okay, I, I didn't like the torture scene. Mm. And it was not that I didn't like it. It just felt me very much uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And that's what the hell they were going for. Absolutely. I, I, I hope nobody liked the torture scene. <laughs> no, but it was just like, it was uncomfortable to watch yeah. just because of they centered the, the torturee right in the center mm-hmm. and then had him surrounded by soldiers. Yeah. Yes, I, we're, we're led to believe that that one of them is Frank, the one that walks up closer and shoots him. Yeah, I was thinking that. Maybe. Yeah, I'm interested though. That can't be, that this murder can't be, it's like, again, a tip of the iceberg. Like, there has to be more. I, I personally don't think that this is all that Micro took. Right. Um, this is, again, just Micro, this is something Micro has found that he can use to his advantage. I don't think this is the information he stole or the information that he lost his life for if you will. right yeah. right but so so at the so at the moment we piece together what micro said to uh to, to frank is did you get the disc i left for you in your house and did you watch it and and frank's watched the disc and that disc is the murder of ahmad zubair and uh, that's all we know right now about what micro's done yes but you're you're thinking there's more to why he was killed exactly i i, I like they keep saying that he uh he sold information to a third party mm. that's would lead me to believe that no, he probably didn't. He he probably found out about everything that they did in Kandahar. Um, he then tries to bring it up the chain and then gets, oh well, you're actually selling all this information to someone. We're going to kill you for right, it. right. And that's probably what it is. But this this is a small part um, of the overall. I'm saying kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering, has he sold this information? Or is it something that he decided? Um, because, I mean, we get to find out he's a, an NSA analyst. So is, is it information that he actually has been selling? Or is it kind of more like releasing this information to the public? Or I don't think it's to the public because otherwise everyone would know. But, yeah. but obviously it links into Dina's investigation as well. So did he release it to her? Has he released it to Carson Wolf here? And as a result of that, because of the nature of what is held in that disc, he has been sort of targeted as well then by what Homeland Security, CIA, um, and I, I think that's still to be fully uh, realized. But I mean, what his wife talks about how on the one hand she's immensely proud of what he did and on the other hand that she just wants to slap him because if he hadn't done what he had done he would still be there so yeah. it seems to me it, it's kind of that idea of you know putting real top secret stuff out into at least some kind of limited uh, exposure and it certainly it seems to connect in with then Dina's uh, investigation that she's still trying to to do uh, and, and hide from uh, Carson Wolf, um, and so we also here get to see Anvil, where she actually knows that it's owned by Billy Russo, who was in Afghanistan, yes. and. Um, I, I think this is really nice. I like the tenacity uh, of this lady that she, you know, she goes on a training exercise to this company and effectively tries to sort of, you know, try and dra- draw out some information from from Billy Russo, not only at Anvil, but also by going on a date with him. Um, and I think that's that's kind of really, uh, really nice. I kind of liked it. And I really like uh, Billy Russo. 
Um, he's quite sympathetic, I yeah, think, yeah, um, yeah. In, in this. I have to say Ben Barnes is great. He's got a really good charismatic kind of personality in this. He's, you can see why he's able to be in the position he's in. You can see that he is the head of a company. He's gone through war. He has a really good relationship here with, with Dina. Even though she's playing him, there is a really good conversation with them in the bar. I think there's some some fun kind of pieces. He absolutely knows she's trying to get information out of him. Yeah, he knows. Quickly. Yeah. He he knows she's playing him. Yeah, which is really cool. I thought that was thought that was really good. But I love when she probes him about Frank, and we find out that he is one of Frank's former compatriots in in the army, and he understands why Frank did what he did. Um, it's not saying he would have done it. He basically says, "I wouldn't because I don't have a family to kill." Um, that's that's the way he deals with it. Well, yeah. if you put yourself on the front lines and have somebody to be taken out, then maybe you do do exactly what Frank does. The system let him down. And he did what he had to do. So he understands it, but he wouldn't have done it because he wouldn't have put himself in that position, is the, the point. Yeah, and also on Pushed About the Drugs, he, he says to her, if you knew him at all, you would know that how crazy and laughable that question is about yeah. Frank Castle. Yeah. It's almost as though Frank Castle, you know, whilst the, the CIA and Schoonover, you know, understands his skill set that he has and that's why they pursued him uh, but actually really wanted to keep him away from maybe the darker aspects of the the mission uh, the true mission say yeah Uh, anything else about this point chris anything else you want to talk about just about russo very much um he said frank was one of my best friends Mm um i'm not buying that uh one bit i'm seeing billy is acting genuine he's acting nice mm-hmm. but i feel that probably he's going to end up being one of our um mid-tier bad guys right yeah just he's too easy it's interesting that i had the same kind of thought i was like okay this guy is way too nice and i've kind of come into this thinking that ben barnes is playing the bad guy um but then he just seems actually really quite genuine and upfront about frank castle mm-hmm. and to dina and i'm kind of going that's too nice which means he's going to ultimately turn around to be an absolute scoundrel and, and sort of psychopath at some point you know it, it it's the bright smile but with the the knife in the gut whilst yeah. he's still smiling and i'm kind of like okay just because with the marvel netflix stuff anyway previously you know we've had such nice sleights of hand this feels quite obvious to me so i'm actually wondering will he be the bad guy or is he truly um, maybe a genuine person all the way throughout? But I, I know what you mean. I'm still expecting him to turn. Uh, but with all this thinking, I also suddenly was like going, well, maybe Agent Dina is really the big bad here. <laughs> that that, yeah. that she's being hidden in plain sight or, or her, you know, comedy sidekick, Sam Stein, that he ultimately is playing it dumb but is part of you know he's a workhorse for these people uh or the organization behind all of this right um, and it'll be interesting whether we get a big bad here because it seems to be maybe that the big bad could be more of an organization like the cia um maybe. or or something like that maybe but i think that one of the biggest difficulties here with billy russo can we talk about this i suppose billy russo is a character from the comic books um can we talk about this? Because this was kind of hidden in the press material from Netflix. So I hope none of our fellow defenders are going to be annoyed with us saying this. But the character Billy Russo becomes Jigsaw, who's one of the biggest bads versus the Punisher um, in the comic books. Now, it's a different origin story. He's not as connected with them. In fact, Jigsaw, I've read, I read the origin story just the other day uh, in back in Spider-Man comic books from many, many years ago. Um, and he's a real crappy villain. It's basically that he's yep. someone that was just thrown through a plate glass window and cut his face, and then he just sets up a gang to rob banks. And that's kind of it. Like, that's his, that's his arc. Eventually, you get to a good origin story in, in some of the future comic books that are there. But knowing that this character of Billy Russo, going into the show, knowing that he was Jigsaw, made me absolutely look at him and go, yeah, yeah, he's the bad guy. Whatever he says means nothing. But I love the, char- the charisma of the actor playing in Ben Barnes has kind of assuaged my fears early on in the series that he's not going to be a bad guy. So just because the the actor's good has probably turned me around on him. Um, speaking of bad guys, I'm going to talk about Wolf. Yes. The Wolf and the Castle. So 
So, last episode, I was wrong. <laughs> Badly. Wow. I'm sorry, I'm Chris. Like, yeah, he's going to be our new Vincent D'Onofrio. They never include him in the press materials. You know, he's just not going to be there because he was Vincent D'Onofrio. He's going to be our kingpin. Nope. He's a dead man. <laughs> yeah, he's literally. Yeah, he literally is. We were keeping a, a note of the music that he put on, which was Ain't That a Kick in the Head. And then all of a sudden we watched the scene. And as I was writing the notes, it was like, and a toaster in the head and a picture frame in the face and a candlestick in their forehead. It's kind of <laughs> like such a good track to play. And I, I loved, um, how you watch it from outside of the house in the kitchen. Yeah. And the other aspect of it is that, you know, these are two really well trained men, ex military, homeland security. And I, I really like that, that Frank got just as much of a beating from, uh, the wolf here. It was really, really cool. Yeah. And I like, I like that, that Dina set that up earlier on saying that wolf is, was always the first person through the door when he was on the front lines. So setting up the fact that this is a, a guy who can fight, you know, and it's good to see Frank get his ha- ass handed to him a little bit, even though we know he was playing it as, as well, but it's nice to see him not win a fight easily. He's not a superhero, so he can he can be taken down if somebody has as good training as he does. Well, that's it. And, and even when he's got Carsten Wolf tied ch- to the chair, that he's still looking uh, for a way out. He's trying to get his, his wrists free. He's delaying. He said, I've worked in all of this. You know, this stuff doesn't work. I've been in Guantanamo. I really enjoyed that because it was, it was this sort of meeting of two ex-combatants, really. And I thought that was uh, really good that he even, you know, he seemingly turns the table, but we have uh, a, a Frank Castle here who's been really, um, tricksy you know with 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 how he's playing this um it was really good but i also like when sam and dina come in after she's been pulled away from the bar speaking with russo that it's like i didn't like him but i wouldn't like to to die like that and they talk about the only entry point must have been down the chimney so Mm -hmm. all i could think of was bad santa (laughs) like (laughs) and as well i think (laughs) carlson wolf he does have a billy bob kind of uh set of gray hair on him i thought so all i could think of was bad santa nice what did you think of our first big kind of battling scene chris i loved it as you said frank at some point got his ass handed to him wolf literally beat him down on about two or three places Mm-hmm. Especially the candlestick to the face. Yeah. Good. It makes sense. It makes sense towards the end when you see that Frank is trying to play it up a bit. Mm-hmm. I always had this vision. Well, it's actually more than a vision because we are given stories and imagery to show that Frank actually is slightly better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this, he was expertly trained. Um, like he went beyond normal training. So. The fact that the wolf, a man who's slightly older than him, could stand nearly toe-to-toe with him. Uh, I was like, oh, this is, oh, what's going, why, why, why? Then it is explained later on yeah. um, when Frank turns the tables. Yeah, I think I think there is that interesting moment. Definitely when he's sitting down at the on the chair with his arm tied behind his back with a silk tie, you're definitely going, that's not going to hold. I know that's not going to hold. Why didn't he find some rope while he was knocked out and tie him properly? Like, surely this guy can tie a knot. You know, I'm sure he went through... Yes. I'm sure he went through skates. I'm sure he went through basic training, you know. He seems to be really good at everything else, but obviously tying knots isn't his forte. Why is he leaving this so open for him to come at him? So I was quite surprised when... um, when Wolf pulled the trigger and there wasn't a bullet in the chamber. Nice move from Frank. I really liked that. And he gets to have the James Bond moment where he tells him his evil plan or bits of it before uh, before pulling the trigger <laughs> and then getting his neck snapped. So I did like that. Yeah. And I like that it wasn't the full James Bond. He didn't go, here's everybody involved in this thing. He gave him some little bit more information about who Micro was to set Frank on the path and told them that the reason why his wife and family were killed was just to get Frank's attention, really. That's a bit of a tough one for Frank to swallow. That's a, a large piece of news, mm-hmm. um, especially for us, because that is changing everything. It's throwing everything we thought we knew in Daredevil Season 2 on its head. A bit, yeah. 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 So we thought they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, to a degree. And then we found out at very towards the end, no, no, something to do with Kandahar. Yeah. Um, but now what we're finding out that is, oh, no, no, this this is, they weren't trying to kill you, Frank. 
they were trying to just get your attention to do this. Yes. Like they wanted you to know. It really piqued my interest again, if you will. Um, it's going to get to a point where I, I'm going to need a very much a, a, a large wall with photos mm-hmm. and then the wires or the string attaching to everything. It is, it's it's going to get to that point because I'm like, I'm two episodes in and I'm like, okay, what am I trying to remember right. again? What happened in Kandahar? <laughs> Who was in Kandahar? Yeah. Okay. They're going to, they're going to need that, that silly expedition moment where Dina is going to talk to Frank and Frank will spill his guts right. and tell her everything. And I, or Karen doesn't Dina or Karen, one of them. Yeah. I just need to know. I, I need a full explanation, full rundown. Or it could be next episode with Michael. It could be. It could be. Remember, Frank is very good at spilling guts. So, um, that might not, that might happen. Maybe just in a different Lovely. way. <laughs> Speaking of Karen, let's go on to point number three. Karen and Frank reconnect. So we do get to see Karen in this episode. Chris, as you mentioned, you were looking forward to seeing Karen in this episode. Um, for me, I think she's used as well as you possibly could use Karen in, uh, in here. I think this is really, really good. I like the fact that he comes out in the street to get her, pretends to be a homeless man and catches her attention. Did you catch the reason why he did that was because he didn't want to get his face blown off by the gun that he made her carry, uh, which he knew would happen if he popped up to her house with this long beard and long hair, you know? Uh, I thought that was a nice little uh, nice little gag there. No, I like that. And she just pats her purse very gently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, aww. But now she's a, she's a card-carrying member of the NRA, so I'm a bit like, yeah. <laughs> No, you're a journalist. You're not supposed to do Remember that. Remember season one of Daredevil? She has got yes, she has exactly. got red in her ledger. Well, we know there was obviously one death that we've seen. Mm-hmm. We also know that there is a past hidden that we are not aware mm-hmm. of, which we will probably get in season three. Yes. Fingers I'm crossed. I'm really hoping we do. Uh, yes. yes. That would be excellent. Um, so going back here, looking at Karen now, so we're assuming that these is post the events of... Uh, the defenders, timeline wise, maybe, yes, probably, probably, yeah. She's so if we take if we take it that this is post the event of the defender, defenders, mm-hmm. she's back on her feet to a degree. See, that's what that's why I'm not sure. I, I, there's certainly no mention of anything to do with that. Defenders took place over about five or six days, so actually, it could take place after this or before it. Um, I'm not too sure on the timeline there. Yeah. No, me neither. We this show takes place six months after Daredevil season two, but I just can't remember is there what, what the connection and timelines are between Defenders and Daredevil season two. I mean, that might be why she's so huggy um, with, mm-hmm. with him. Like, she's obviously pleased to see him, but also worried. Um, you know, she's concerned what he might do. I really kind of like that that scene by the water where she comes with the information uh, about this sort of shelved story that Ellison kind of cut off because of an intervention from from the wolf. I like the fact that she just sat there and said, what are you going to do with this information? Now, I mean, ultimately, she did hand it over to him. But, you know, she was concerned that this is ultimately going to lead to a string of murders. And it's interesting, you see that she reported on the Nucci family deaths as well. Yes. The the little uh, article there is by Karen. So I kind of like that because, I mean, at the end of the day, Karen at her heart doesn't want people to just be killed and murdered for, for no reason. Absolutely. But I think she kind of realizes that's for Frank to make that judgment and hands over the the info. Yeah, I like that. I also like the I like the say it with flowers bit that, that Frank did where she would put the, the vase of flowers in, in the window so that he would know. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Old school espionage. Really you know? does feel like something out of Nick Fury from the sixties. That's a really cool little idea. Yeah, I love that hug from Karen as well. There's something something in that again. I really love Deborah Deborah Ann Wall and the role of Karen Page and I love this little this little moment where she's just saying everything with a hug. She's saying to Frank, I understand how horrible this must be for you. You've been on the run. Everybody thinks you're dead. Your family's gone. You haven't had any human contact, as far as I know, since the last time I saw you. So all I need to do is I'm going to give you a hug here and then you can go. But it felt like something that Karen absolutely needed to do is to give Frank a hug. I'm not sure whether he needed it or she needed it more, but I think she's just kind of saying to him, I'm always here for you just within that moment. And I just thought it was it was a beautifully played moment. Yeah, I think as well, the other thing I really liked was just she asks him, what has this guy got on you? You know, in in terms of micro. Mm. And, you know, Frank obviously is fairly sparse with the truth here. I like the fact that this is starting to stack up against Frank to some extent that, you know, he 
is trying to find the truth about things, but also is he also trying to hide something? You know that these people have got information on him, his involvement in in a particular sort of mission that has gone on, Mm. which has led to the death of his wife and and children, but also that he has to take some responsibility for. Um, And I I like that this is stacking up. It it makes Frank's motives, um, certainly towards Micro and as to why he wants to track him down and get him, a bit dubious. You know, is it self-preservation or is it for exposing the truth of these people and their involvement in his wife's murder. But that will lead to him exposing his involvement in the events that have gone on throughout Afghanistan. So he's in a bit of a catch-22 here uh, because, you know, we hear from Carson about how Frank bored his entire unit to death with his, you know, homecoming tradition and, and all of this. So, you know, maybe it was in the end that, you know, as I say... They just used him for his his particular uh, and top notch skill set, but now he's still involved in it, uh, and I'm really intrigued to know and see how this plays out, and yeah. um, because he's got you know dirt on his hands, under his fingernails, and egg on his face. Yeah. Nice, delicious eggs, however. A double two over easy, but with no avocado because that's for hipsters. Yeah, <laughs> that was so good that. He, but he still asked for sourdough toast. I'm kind of like, is that really what you do in a traditional American hey. diner? Sourdough toast. I mean, it's normally that really sweet bread, that sweet sort of toasting bread, which is kind of weird to, I think, non-American tastes. He is a soldier watching his carbs. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he orders, um, you know, a beetroot salad with um, <laughs> <laughs> with pine nuts and sunflower seeds. I also think Quinoa might make an entrance into the Punisher uh, this season. Well, d- remember, Frank did actually say, I hate hipsters. So I don't think that's going to happen with Frank <laughs> at all. But Chris, your mission between now and the next time we record is to find out whether you have to order sourdough bread with your eggy breakfast in uh, in your local breakfast restaurant. There you go. Sure, I can try and find <laughs> that out. I'll go to Queen's as we speak. There you go. I like it. Well, maybe <laughs> after we speak. Okay, that probably makes more sense. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else about Karen? How did you feel about Karen in the episode? Do you think she was treated well from Daredevil into this? Definitely gets a bit better screen time in this than she did in some of Defenders, um, as we said. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm happy with her treatment. I'm interested to see where they will take this character. They've emboldened her mm-hmm. slightly bit more than we had seen in say season two of daredevil or the definitely the defenders mm-hmm. yeah They've given her a backbone this is why again i'm thinking it's after defenders because she, we see her speak to her editor she does almost kind of go no this is my beat this is what i yeah. do so why you hired me and pushes him for it allison he decided not to run the story on micro because of carlson wolf yes. yeah so where she goes that's not what you do. That's not how we journalists do. Mm-hmm. Now, God forbid she ruins her journalistic integrity by, you know, giving secrets or stories to a known criminal <laughs> vigilante. I did have that as well. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick question. Do you think we'll see Karen back in the show? I hope so. Yes. I do hope so. I did like her in this, definitely. I also really liked Ellison being back in there because I do like their dynamic, even though I would agree with Chris that, um, you know, that, that moral high ground that can sometimes, um, come it is underserved when she herself is breaking some kind of code as well. Um, so yeah, that's sometimes. Um, I, cause I, the thing is, and the reason why I say that is I really like the fact that she gives Ellison a hard time about it. I really like that. Um, but, and I'm, I'm not that bothered because ultimately she did question the Punisher when she handed it Absolutely. over. Yeah. Um, and, you know, touch wood, uh, fingers crossed, you know, toes crossed, rabbit's foot being rubbed that, um, you know, I'm sure that Micro won't get slaughtered by the Punisher. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Uh, should we go on to our final point? I think Because it kind of has to be about flushing Micro. Um, <laughs> yeah. getting, getting Micro out of his comfort zone, which is the place he spent what we believe is the last year watching over his family and gathering bits and pieces of, uh, of electronics equipment to build 
probably the best rig that you could possibly imagine. He's able to monitor security cameras all across the city of New York, obviously. Um, And Frank's able to get him out of there by doing what? Going to his wife's house, (laughs) which is the most terrifying thing I would say that can happen to this guy is to see the person that he thinks he's got under his thumb walking up the driveway of of his home and into his family home. Yes, and thankfully no further. Um, You wonder what was going through um, David Lieberman's uh, mind as he sees Frank in there. I mean, I do like the fact that he just comes out with, you asshole, Frank Castle. Um, (laughs) I think that's really good. And, you know, it forces him to leave his Faraday cage and go into onto the streets. Now, he, he... doesn't end up intervening but um you know he's there with gun in hand ready to to do something so he is worried maybe he thinks he's going to kill her but it's really interesting because micro's position is one where he is having to not see his family so that he doesn't get them killed and obviously with frank's case uh, he saw his family and got them wiped out in yeah. that kind of a crossfire a sniper fest um from his origin tale yeah but uh yeah no i like this i liked how he he makes micro uncomfortable uh to the point where then you know he really starts to to push that envelope so that frank's back on top yeah i didn't like what frank did okay i suppose again i'm I'm used to my Punishers being the hero, not the anti-hero. Oh, okay. The Punisher. Frank is willing to do pretty despicable things for what he sees as being the greater good or what he sees as being the right thing, i.e. the level of violence he he does Mm -hmm. or the torture, etc., etc. This kind of stepped a line to me. Really? Now, I know he did nothing. Yes. That's the thing. But I was always expecting him to. Um, now, I suppose this should teach me that, no, that's not this character's about. Yes. He did this as a ploy to make Micro believe that something was going to exactly. happen. But, damn, man, that's... That, that's That's cold. That's some cold ass <laughs> shit right there. Yeah, I, I, I do like it. It's, it's really using his reputation. Yes. Uh, against Lieberman. Lieberman knows what this guy is capable of. And now he's just said, and look how easy it was for me to get inside your home. There is also a little bit of other stuff going on there, I think, with Sarah. Um, the flirtation. There's definitely some flirtation there, isn't there? And again, for Lieberman sitting there watching this. So it started off going, oh, God, the guy who's who's killed hundreds of people in New York is now inside my house. Will he kill my wife and kids or will he stay with my wife and take my place in my home? You know, it's kind of I'm wondering, is is this also going through his head going, get away from her? There's too many options here that could happen. And all of them are things that Lieberman doesn't want. It's funny. It's kind of like I never got the sense that she was in danger, Sarah Lieberman. Uh, whilst he was in the house. Um, for me, this was pure recon and, I think, as you say, using his reputation. Um, whether he knew that David had, had cameras in the house, I suppose it was a, it was a good, good odds that there, there would be. But I, I kind of liked that he did this. Um, I never felt she was necessarily under threat and I kind of liked the, the chit chat about it. And it, because mm-hmm. it was kind of in the same way that Dina is doing with Russo. He was doing the kind of same kind of thing. Yeah. But obviously, yeah, his reputation precedes him, and and uh, Micro doesn't quite know what might happen. The only time was after that when I think he was on the phone again to Micro in the diner, where yeah. he does kind of do a veiled threat about the safety of his wife, um, where he really says, "No, you know, you listen. I'm the one." in control now you're going to do um this and this and this and you know it leads to their 20 minute dance uh, around manhattan brooklyn uh, and so on uh, as for the whole day mm-hmm. but that was the only time i really felt that he, you know he was threatening his wife but i think like as you say chris that it's not what he does in a sense he will go after people who he thinks are guilty and at the moment he has questions over micro yeah yeah do we think that if micro is can go back to his wife does he was this just a flirtatious for the sake of flirtatiousness 
Or is actually, are we, are we going to see a love interest here, which would be really weird? Well, yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I think I think you make a good point, John, because I didn't even think about it, that Frank doesn't actually know that Micro is watching every move that he makes in the house. Um, I think he's just genuinely got a bit of char- charisma, and he's a very caring type of person. He does go out and fix the doorway to the garage as well. Uh, for her which i think is again just getting making sure that he stays close to her but he's probably just probing for information to find out whether she knows where david is um but i do love this whole this whole concept this whole flipping it all around doing the 20 minute dance as you say john where it's 20 minutes to the next stop and the next stop and the next stop and keeping him on the road for the full day and the final step of that is making David stand right beside his grave in a cemetery. Like That says so much more than any other thing that Frank could say to him. He's effectively going, and I've got you dead to rights. I know exactly where you are. I'm able to do this all without all of the training that you have and without all the computers that you have and without all the knowledge that you have. Look where I'm able to get you to. And I know where your wife is. If you don't leave me alone, I'm going to go after her. Is what we think has happened. Yeah, I, I, and I, I love the fact that all that was a distraction. It mm-hmm. was that sleight of hand of the prestige in, in that sense where, you know, he gets Kurt to de- deliver the message. And at that moment, he's getting inside Micro's trunk. Um, and I have to say, it was one of the best frame scenes where that trunk just pops open, um, at back at Micro's, uh, base of operations. And, you know, like a jack in a box outcomes this really nasty surprise that is frank castle mm-hmm. I, I loved even when micro gets back to his place where he's just suddenly hits the whiskey bottle because it's like well what do i do now you know and you know for the audience that's that's a really interesting thing because you know he is obviously hanging his and pinning his stripes to working with frank castle mm-hmm and then just the kind of resignation of him sitting back in his chair, laughing, hands on his face when there's this sort of hulking kind of figure of Frank Castle uh, over him. Um, and then he gets a good right hook. Yeah. So the, the the drink part has me questioning it a bit. Does he have a bit of a problem? Because you'll see, so he has a shoebox with a bottle full of whiskey. And is that kind of the breaking case of emergency <laughs> bottle of whiskey? I think it's breaking case of emergency. He does put it back under there before Frank arrives in the room. He just has one swig of uh, of whiskey and then puts it back in the box. So yeah. I think he has a problem. I think he has a problem because, uh, well, Frank's on the loose again. Um, so I think he has that kind of problem. Yeah. It's the emergency drink. Do yeah. you not have one at your office? I choose not to offer that or offer the answer to that the question. It, it, it's the emergency box of cheap red wine in the, in the filing cabinet. I like it. Yeah, that's how you hide your alcohol, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Chris, any of the notes on, on the episode? Um, that's our top five points that we've gone through there. Is there any of the notes on the episode that you have? Not really a note, just more of a question to see. I wonder, so I, I, I did some digging into the lore of Punisher okay. coming into this. Um, they are playing fast and loose with the origins mm-hmm. here in comparison to what they've done previously in the other Defender shows. So I, I suppose it's going to annoy some hardcore fans. Um, I'm assuming, um, because they are changing quite a lot. Now, you could say the same thing about the comic books. Like, the Punisher's gone from Vietnam being origin story to Afghanistan, the Gulf. Yeah. He's been constantly, considerably retconned, if you will, mm-hmm. because he, he's what, 70 years old and still looking a sprite 40. <laughs> oh. I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what else they'll right. change. So, like, Micro has changed. Yes. Uh, Frank's origin has changed, mm-hmm. but we, we knew that. Billy Russo's changed. Billy yeah. Russo's changed. Dina, it, as far as I can tell, is a new character. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. so. I so. Built for this. I definitely think if you're going to do a show like this, which is a thriller, as I've as I've said, this episode feels much more like a thriller. If you're going to do that, you can't really tell an origin story that's already been told anywhere else, because then suddenly you have half the audience going, well, I already know this. <laughs> <laughs> I know who it was that's at the center of this. It's in the comics. It's in issue number eighty-five or, or something like that. So, but we've had his origin story, haven't we? In in Daredevils, mm-hmm. and this is almost like an elaboration of it at this moment in time. This yeah. is kind of expanding it beyond um, his wife and kids uh, as well. And I think I think it's interesting. I mean, for me, yeah, I know about the Punisher and and his origins. Um, he's not 
a character I've followed. So for me, change is, is good or it's novel in the sense that I've got nothing really to fully compare it against, but other than sort of the main aspects that I know of, of the Punisher. So I, I'm intrigued to see it. I like, I like how it's linking into, you know, the veteran circle. Yeah. Definitely yeah. as, as a, as a key theme here. And something we didn't mention last episode actually was at the end of his killing spree when he finishes off the kitchen Irish and the dogs of hell, he takes that uniform that he had at the end of, of Daredevil season two and burns it. So what this story has to be is the, point where frank puts back on that uniform becomes the punisher again he doesn't have anybody to punish for the death of his family but this is really the storyline of how he becomes the permanent permanent punisher rather than just being the punisher of the people that killed his family so i guess that's where the story is going to be leading towards this is the origin of punisher 2.0 yeah or 1.5 whichever way you want (laughs) to call it um yeah i'm just i what i want what i'm interested is next who else will we be introduced mm-hmm. to? Have we seen all the characters and whose origins will they change slightly? Mm-hmm. That was very much a note to, I'm curious. Yeah. And I suppose then for, for Micro, Chris, you were like saying how he has had a change to his storyline as well. So in the same way how Google names their operating systems, this isn't so much Micro 2.0, but Micro Sherbet Dibdap <laughs> instead of sort of gingerbread or ice cream sandwich. I like it. I like it. It's a good version, an upgrade, if yeah. you will. Quality of life. Upgrade. I like it. Well, kind of, apart from... He doesn't seem to have any quality of life living in his little Not at the moment. Um, but yeah, we, we mentioned that we were going to be doing book watch for this season of uh, of The Punisher. Unfortunately, there is no books in this episode. Um, <laughs> I was absolutely certain there was another one mentioned in episode two, but there is no book. But we have a whiskey episode. watch, and that is Bell's Scotch Whiskey. Very good. See, one watch replaced by the other. We bring back whiskey watch with, uh, with the Bell whiskey drank by uh, Micro. Well caught, John. Well caught. So with that, Chris... Do you defend this episode of The Punisher? Yes, I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Oh, wow. Um, this is the show I wanted from the beginning. The For me, the first episode is a misstep. Okay. It is too procedural. What if you enjoyed the first episode because of what it is, and now you've come to this? You're not going to enjoy this episode. So this is a dramatic shift in tone. One that I'm expecting, that I was expecting because we have watched every Marvel Netflix episode and season uh, and show uh, and read everything about them and the directors and the the, the way that the style that they do, um, we've dissected it. But if you look at very closely between the style of episode one to the style of episode two, mm-hmm. this is different. This is very, this is the show that you could expect this is the dark gritty realistic dark underbelly of the local heroes of the marvel universe this is hell's kitchen well in this case hell's kitchen brooklyn manhattan uh 20 minute ride to this other place <laughs> 20 minute ride to this other place i really enjoyed it this was what i was expecting if this continues the way it's supposed to um in the way i foresee it in my head which is this spy thrillery um, with a Punisher level of violence and um, some intrigue and backstory into what happened in Kandahar, etc., etc. Then I, it, it's got its hooks in me. That's the storyline I'm quite interested in. If at some point it pivots back to this procedural, we know there's an issue. Something went wrong with this production. I don't see it happening. I see, I see the first one as being just potentially a misstep slightly or just yeah let's call it a misstep that's fine i won't talk about it again overall two dead men fantastic this was what i wanted in a punisher show so right now i defend this episode and i defend this show i will tell people that they need to binge through the first episode though and then straight into the second that's what hooks you so john do you defend this episode of the punisher two dead men I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Um, I would give this three and a half over easy hipster eggs out of five. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I really like this. I'm really pleased to see Micro. I've been wanting to see Micro since the end of Daredevil 2. Um, I've really enjoyed his, where his base is. I, I love the look of him on the roof, sort of giving Frank the slip. 
Um, I'm really intrigued by David Lieberman's story, um, certainly with his wife, Sarah. And I thought, yeah, that whole moment of Frank visiting his wife just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable um, to some extent. Or you, you, you feel David Lieberman's unease at Frank being in his, his own house um, and knowing actually that he's alive uh, and he could say that to his wife. You know, he knows all of the, these dangers here. And I found that really good. I love the, 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 the switch here where they have that 20 minute car ride all over Manhattan, um, and, and New York. I really enjoyed that and, and how it ends with Frank popping up like some kind of scurry jack in the box, uh, at, uh, David Lieberman's, uh, base really enjoyed that yet the fight between the wolf and the castle absolutely fantastic it did remind me of number nine actually the show by reese shearsmith uh just how they moved the fight through um outside and, and from the kitchen into the dining room where you see him using the toaster and all that i mean it, it moved in between but in um a number nine they have a great silent episode of it it reminded me of that and i thought it was really cool and i liked how frank again was a few steps ahead of of wolf here um it's great to see um russo i'm really intrigued to see this character is like is he good he seems it I'm expecting him to be bad. I'm interested to see if he does become Jigsaw. That'll be really good. I think I really enjoyed the interaction with Kurt. I liked how he was almost sort of owning up to what happened uh, in Afghanistan. Not not directly, but saying that bad shit went down. Um, you know, I thought that was really, really good. I like how it's coming back to Kurt's group, um, that, that veteran circle. I love Frank's flashbacks and, and dreams. In particular, actually, I really enjoyed the opening part of that where he's, you think he's being watched by someone, but it's him reflecting back on a memory uh, on, on the Staten Island ferry as they go past Lady Liberty. You know, and you, you have that kind of uncomfortable mo- moment where he admonishes his son for, for talking ill of the enemy, um, in a sense. I thought that was really nicely done. Um, and I, I, I'm enjoying that whole trauma that Frank is going through, both because of war and because of the murder of his family. I think um, I think that's an important thread for this character in terms of modernizing it to an extent. You know, given that as you, as we were saying before, you know, he started off with Vietnam, it's gone to the Gulf, it's gone to Afghanistan. You know, there's been a lot of war <laughs> um, and a lot of different types of war, and one of them is this whole. Uh, traumatic syndrome that occurs once you come back from experiencing war, which is really bad, mm-hmm. I would expect. Um, so, yeah, I do defend this episode absolutely. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I loved this episode of The Punisher. Um, this is, as you said, Chris, this is kicking off into the show that I wanted, absolutely. Um, while I'm not with you on not needing the first episode, I think the first episode hits the ground running and gets you back into the character of the Punisher. And if you've never seen the show before, it sets you up with some really good characters in there. Uh, if that episode didn't exist and it started off this way, this episode actually would have just been bloated with exposition. Everybody would just be talking to each other about how dangerous this man, the Punisher, is. So uh, you needed to get that out of the way. You needed to show it rather than tell it. And that's what you do at your first episode. You get into this one and it really is kicking into, as you say, those cool spy dramas of the 70s. Totally my bag. Totally the kind of thing that I'm interested in. Um, and I loved that moment at the end of this episode as Punisher comes out of the boot of, uh, of David Lieberman's car. That's what made me go, I need to watch episode three now. I need to know whether he just beats the holy hell out of David Lieberman or whether he's going to start working with him or what's his plan with him. Uh, I really need to know that. So really looking forward to episode three and uh, really looking forward to hearing you guys' thoughts about that as well. Yeah, definitely. Remember, as always, any thoughts, uh, discussions or comments on any of the episodes of the Punisher or the series as a whole are very welcome. Um, you can send them through voicemail to our, uh, our website at defenderstvpodcast.com. You can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Please come on over, join the community, join the group over on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. And of course, there is the Tweetyverse um, with Twitter. 
Twitter. Just come on over at DefendersCast. We got some email feedback in on episode one already from Ken Hugh. Ken says, guys, great job on the podcast. Recently discovered it and went back and listened to each episode for Daredevil seasons one and two and for the Defenders. Thanks so much, Ken. Yeah, thank you, Ken. It's always good to hear from someone that's been listening to the podcast or listening back on our on our previous episodes. Uh, hopefully the quality has changed a little bit since uh, our first ever episode of uh, Daredevil on season one. Ken goes on to say, I thought the Punisher episode one was a solid but not spectacular beginning for the season. Some of my thoughts. Point number one, I didn't think Kurt was in Frank's platoon or at least part of any special missions that Frank had. Kurt asked Frank what he got into in Afghanistan that made him so nihilistic. Yeah, I think that's probably right, Kurt. I don't think he was in Frank's platoon. I think he was saved by Frank, though. Yes, he, he mentions that, I think, in one of the later episodes, that he was saved and hence he only needed a prosthetic leg rather than losing his entire life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ken says, point two, I was okay with the Donnie storyline because I don't think this means we'll have a mission of the week type show. I see it as a way of bringing Frank back out into the open so Michael could find him and Dinah would begin tracking him down. Absolutely agree with you on that. Point three, Frank not having always been a good guy during a war is consistent with how he is portrayed in the comics. There, Frank killed because he found pleasure in killing, though I don't think there is exactly the direction the show is taking. I really hope not. I don't think that's uh, that's going to be Frank the murderer or Frank Hannibal Castle. Yeah, I mean, hopefully not. But certainly I like the fact that they're not treating him purely as a victim like in Daredevil Season 2. You know, despite his methods, you can you can really maybe get behind him because of the the vengeance or the revenge from a, a comic book slant. But here you are also realizing that, you know, he plunged his hands into that filth of execution um, and kidnapping uh, during Afghanistan as well. And it does, but I do think they are still trying to make him a sympathetic character. Definitely. Yeah. Point four on the question of if Frank went too far, I think he decided to kill the construction workers and the mobsters because they all had intent to perform premeditated murder and were in the process of carrying it out. I totally agree with that, actually. That's a really good point. And finally, point five, he says, I wonder how close Netflix is planning to bring this Frank to his portrayal in the comics in terms of motivation. In Daredevil Season 2 and this Punisher episode, Frank seems only to be focused on exacting revenge, which is why he retired after killing the last person involved in his family's murder. In the comics, the Punisher was after vengeance, which is why he continued killing criminals, even after killing the people responsible for his family. Interesting, yeah. Um, I guess there is some form of vengeance coming up in the season. We're definitely seeing Frank get some motiva- motivation for his killings, as you've probably started seeing now in these uh, in these episodes, Ken. Yes, definitely, and that certainly could be a season two of The Punisher, or maybe it is more about getting involved uh, in killing criminals to prevent them from killing uh, sort of innocent people on the streets or that sort of crossfire, those that get caught in their crossfire in those gang warfares. So I definitely think he's going to be back on the trail of vengeance, certainly in, in the next few episodes. And Ken finishes off with looking forward to watching episode two and hearing your review. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. Really good to have you with us. Yeah, thanks, Ken, for the feedback. It's really good. Thank you. Some quick reactions to episode one over from our Facebook group. Conor Stevens says, a really, a really interesting episode. It was a nice change of pace after Defenders, and I like what they're doing with a nice opening one-shot. Incredible camera work too. Damn. But the People versus Frank Castle would have been a massive case. How people didn't recognize him in America when he has a beard kind of shocks me. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, as you say as well, Connor, that it's in the comics too, but he is um, being identified as a hipster, and I suppose there are so many hipsters in New York that um, he really does melt into the background. Um, but certainly, um, <laughs> joke, obviously, joking everyone, uh, but certainly, um, yeah, I really like the, the change of pace here, um, especially when you compare it to the Defenders. It is, I think, most definitely a slow burn going on over these 13 episodes we'll see you know we've said this in the past as to whether one or two episodes could have been uh, shaved off some of the previous defenders series um such as luke cage or or um daredevil season two even so we'll just see but i'm liking the the slow burn uh, at the moment robert phillips also posted on facebook and said I enjoyed this lovely way to open with the closing of the story from Daredevil Season 2 before the opening credits. Almost hoped we would get through Episode 1 without him picking up the weapon of retribution, though when it came, it was harsh. Are we going to have the whole analogy through the rest of the series, or are we done with him rescuing Donald? 
Yep. Luckily, as we've seen in this episode, I think that was definitely a one shot in that first episode. We're probably not going to see Danny back for the rest of the series. Ronaldo says, wow, what an introduction to the series. Although part of the writing seemed a bit clunky, overall it was quite enjoyable. Bernthal puts in a great performance again and the supporting cast do well. I like Kurt, Frank's former brother in arms. He is such a calming influence on Frank and he even managed to get a laugh out of him. Also impressed with Donnie. Enjoyed his arc in the episode and glad he was saved in the end by Frank. Welcome back, Frank. Welcome back, Frank, indeed. Yeah, thanks, Ronaldo. Um, certainly I wonder whether it's the writing that's clunky or whether it's just the delivery of the Punisher in that first episode. It's very monosyllabic. Ugg, ick, ugg, definitely. Um, but I, I, you know, we'll see, hopefully, um, we'll see how the writing pans out in future episodes, definitely. Uh, Lisa Richardson says, I'm enjoying the first episode. The supporting characters are interesting. It's always a pleasure seeing Sora Agadalasu. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I probably mispronounced that name once again, but certainly, um, really enjoying um, her as Dina's mother. Yeah. And again, as we said in our episode one podcast, there are little ties back to one of the film punishers with Thomas Jane, who also appeared in Expanse. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And Claire Payne finally says, really enjoyed the first episode, like all the new characters. Again, an episode where you knew what was happening and who was who. My only slight criticism is I didn't like the camera angles of seeing Frank's wife through his eyes. That's the dream sequence that Frank keeps waking up to, the shooting of his wife. I know what you mean, Claire, but it's supposed to be a bit disorientating when he's waking up during this dream. Um, it is supposed to take you out of a, of a standard scene. So I suppose that's, that's why they've used that particular camera angle in there. Thanks so much for the feedback in episode one. We also got some feedback on our Facebook group as well for episode two. Uh, Connorman goes, I adore this cinematography so much. Each shot is masterful and interesting, even without action. Shankland does a great job. Yeah, I think we talked a bit about that during this episode about Shankland's direction. Really, really good. Uh, Michael Booth says, Karen hugging Frank reminded me that at this point she's lost Matt. It adds more weight to how happy she was to see him. Yeah, we didn't actually mention this in the episode. If this takes place just after The Defenders... Matt Murdock, spoilers, is uh, dead, or Karen believes he's dead anyway. Um, so yeah, that could be the reason why she's given the big hug. It's hard to know whether this happens between uh, the time of the end of Daredevil Season 2 and the start of The Defenders, or happens after The Defenders. There's certainly only a couple of days during The Defenders series, um, so unlikely that Karen would have had time to say to Matt that she met up with Frank Castle if it took place before that. But yeah, it's a little bit confusing on the timeline there. But yeah, really good point, Michael. I do love that scene with Frank uh, getting the hug off Karen. I think it's a nice little emotional scene between the two characters. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. If you want to listen to all of our reviews of The Defender shows and obviously keep up with our Punisher coverage, all you need to do is subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by going to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. There's a load of subscribe links on there. Or just go to iTunes or any good or evil podcast catcher and search for Defenders TV Podcast. Subscribe to us there. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. And hopefully have some, have some chat in the universe of The Punisher for the rest of the 13 episodes of this series. We'll be back with our review of Punisher Episode 3, Kandahar, next Friday. And every week from then on, on your Friday. To end your week, your working week, in the most perfect way, with our dulcet tones in your ear. With your grandfather. And your grandfather and your grandmother. So we're sticking to the grandfather. We're staying with the grandfather. Yeah, I think so. I think we're staying with, yeah. Okay. And don't forget to ask your grandfather to tell us what he thinks. Also, just tell him all about it. He may, he may really like Daredevil. Absolutely. You never know. And next week's episode, as you say, Chris, is called Kandahar. Mm. Mm. I think we're going to be learning more about the past of the Punisher in that one. Yeah, it's a bit spoilery. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. just, it's kind of like, now I know what's going to happen. Or do I? I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm, I'm hoping we get some of Micro's story. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening, everyone, uh, and we'll speak with you again next time. I'm off to go and grow myself a hipster beard if I can and order some over-easy eggs with avocado. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. See you guys soon. Bye. You ain't got no money. You got the money.